This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome into the local angle here on FanDuel TV. I'm Jason Goff, the host of The Full Go, covering all things Chicago. We'll get to the Bears in a second, but coming up, John Yastrzemski is going to take you through a truly, truly just dreadful Jets and Giants game that somebody had to win at some point, right? And and your man, uh, Zach Wilson, raised his hand and said, I'll be the one. I'll do it. Meanwhile, my man, Tyrod Taylor, is headed to the hospital again. It's like every three or four years, Tyrod got to go to the hospital because of somebody's malpractice. In this instance, it was the Giants offensive line. But we'll get to that as well. And also, Shield Kapadia. And Ben Solak give their thoughts on the Eagles' win over the Commanders, plus Brian Barrett and James White on the Patriots' loss in Miami. But first, we've got to talk some Bears and Chargers because, of course, local angle folks, you already know the vibes. They, you know, I, I'm usually somewhere third, sometimes hitting cleanup, sometimes I'm the anchor man on this joint. No, no, no. They said, hey, the Bears are playing on primetime Sunday night football. We should probably lead with the Chicago pie. Well, this is what you should come to expect and what we as Bears fans have come to expect, especially during primetime events. Uh, Bears Chargers Sunday night football was another chance for everyone in the country to see how woefully um, horrible and putrid this coaching staff truly is. And before I even get to that, Things took place in this game that I have never before consumed. I have never before consumed. You might say to yourself, Jason, what what happened? Tyson Bajan didn't play well. The Bears lost in a game that a lot of people thought they would lose. What possibly could have happened that you did not fathom happening? Well, I'm going to tell you all this right now. If you didn't think that Justin Fields was on the outs or on the way out or somewhere outside of the circle of trust in that organization, all you needed to do was listen to the broadcast. I am not a person who talks about the broadcast at all. At damn near because a lot of times I'm watching games with the sound down. Right? I don't want to create my own opinions every once in a while. If there's a replay or something like that, turn the sound up. Or I'm, I've learned in my from my radio days to just drown out sound. Right? You listen to commercials all day long. You, you know which ones should fire. You know which ones shouldn't fire. As long as you're not hearing dead air, everything is fine. So I've learned how to drown out commentators. But I'll tell you this right now. 
the stallion and the cowboy, they could not have, have curated that message any finer than what Luke Getze and the Chicago Bears hoped they would in terms of what Tyson Bajan was supposed to be and what Justin Fields hasn't been up until this point. Yeah, we can get into the fact that the Bears didn't force a punt until six minutes and 47 seconds left in the third quarter. We can get into the fact that, yeah, Justin Herbert uh, coming off of a couple of games where people were asking some real, real Serious questions about the the fate and the future of Justin Herbert, especially in this uh, this prisoner of the moment sports culture that we live in on a week to week basis. There's a referendum on star quarterbacks, right? We can get into the fact that this man completed what his first 15, 16 passes. We can get into that. We can get into Austin Eckler, you know, not being what fantasy owners had hoped he would be this year due to injury and also lack of productivity. We can get into that as well. We can also get into the fact that Tyson Bajan and Luke Getz. We're going up against the worst pass defense in all of the NFL leading up to this week, saying that there will be no limits on the passing game. Tyson Bajan stepping to the podium as confident as he possibly could all week long, saying the right things. His daddy, who everybody knows by now is a 28 time arm. Was it world arm wrestling champ? Huh? He about five or six shots of daddy on the, on the sidelines as well. Huh? We can get into the fact that, All those things happened and none of it would have seemed egregious other than the fact that someone had to tell Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico that these are the things that we want Tyson to do. But more importantly, these are the things that we can't get Justin Fields to do. Yeah, delivering the ball on time with accuracy, looking through progressions every single time a, a point and and seemingly a liner note from Bears PR or Luke Getze or whoever Tariko and Collinsworth met with this week to get their lowdown on what the Bears offense should look like every single time one of those liner notes came up where Chris Collinsworth was you know it was was was, it was spinning a little yarn about how good Tyson Bajan can be and smiling and, and and laughing bemusedly chuckling you know through every single pass attempt saying oh you gotta love this guy every time he did it the threw into a team meeting every time the secondary that i told y'all was gonna get cooked especially number 43 michael davis they dropped three interceptions out there so yeah you can do the whole justin fields ain't the guy thing that's fine i might be with you huh but man i have never seen and and y'all did it Y'all, and who am I talking to? These Rubish Bears. That's right. I called you Rubes. These Rubish Bears fans who couldn't wait to see a backup quarterback go out there. There's a reason why the young man went to Shepherd University. There's a reason why he's an undrafted college free agent. Okay? You going to tell me that that dude... I came away from this game flabbergasted. There were three separate times that those two broadcasters mentioned that Justin Fields could learn a thing or two from Tyson Bajant. They put Tyson Bajant in a bad spot, man. The Bears put him in a bad spot. And and boy, what, what four quarters of actual game tape does to a defensive coaching staff. This ain't mop-up duty. You had a whole week. He had a whole week to take a look at what Tyson Bajan did well against the Raiders and what he didn't do well against the Raiders. 
And that Chargers coaching staff and those Chargers defensive players took it upon themselves to make sure that they wouldn't be embarrassed on national TV against a guy who's been put in a bad spot. So, yeah, if you're, if you're going to hear this the way that you want to hear it, fine. If you think that I'm crapping on Tyson Bajan, then fine. I'm going to tell you this right now. Young man was exposed on national TV. He completed a deep throw to start the game and then three straight runs got them off the field. There was nothing really that Tyson Bajan was going to be able to do out there to save the Bears. But the 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 the, the outpouring of, of love and sappiness that took place on social media and in that Bears broadcast, well, I should say game broadcast, because Bears got what they wanted out that broadcast. But in that broadcast was shameful. It was shameful. Talking about what the, what the number 10 or 11 pick, a, a, a high school player of the year, Big Ten offensive player of the year, a dude who ran for more yards than any quarterback in NFL history last year, a dude who came into this game still with a bad thumb, but with 11 touchdowns and six interceptions, and I believe a 90 rating, if I'm not mistaken, so far this year. That was the dude who people, and I, I say who the people are, but that was the dude who people on that broadcast were saying, he could learn a thing or two from Tyson Bajan. And then what did Tyson Bajan actually do out there? Threw the ball to a dude who no longer should be on his football team? I don't know what Valus Jones does for a living, but a damn show ain't playing football. Okay? Darnell Mooney, hey, got to catch those. We talked about this dude being a number one wide receiver three years ago. Now all of a sudden, after his first real injury, doesn't look like the same player. He catches a ball, goes down, defensive pass interference. He's not touched. He doesn't run to the end zone. You got to run to the end zone and take the doubt out of the referee's hands because guess what? When they go back to adjudicate the play, you already scored. Derwin James runs over there like, oh, we got to touch him or get him down and does that. So all the things that the Bears have been selling us for the last couple of years have tanked, have cratered have plateaued. We are in a valley. And this one feels worse than the one last year when you were trying to lose. Matt Eberflus' hits principle saw a lot of loafing and a lot of missed tackles out there. That defense is horrible. And now, going forward, there's no reason to pay... Well, there's no need to play. <laughs> there's no reason to play some of these guys that you paid on that defensive line. Demarcus Walker, hey man, you're going to have to lose some snaps now. Huh? Yannick Ngakwe, you're going to have to lose some snaps. Zach Pickens and Jervon Dexter Sr., the two dudes that were drafted when you knew you had a defensive line need. You know, you skipped the first round, said we're going to draft this right tackle. By the way, who's playing, I think, some damn good ball over the last three weeks. Darnell Wright is out here doing his best, playing one-armed. But the young dudes in the middle need to get every snap going forward. It's evaluation time now. Because if you come away from the last two weeks, and this is this is the rube talk that I'm uh, that I'm referring to, I've seen people say, "Hey, man, at least we found out we got a competent backup quarterback." Where and who and when has that ever been the mission for any town that is bigger than Green Bay, Wisconsin? That is small town goofy talk. Found out we got a competent backup quarterback. And man, if you ever would come to me with that, I would laugh your. Out of my face. And oh, by the way, in the second half of this ball game, DJ Moore got one target. There are problems abound here. 
abound. Before an entire broadcast, I heard exactly how the Chicago Bears, not Chris Collinsworth, not Mike Tirico, how the Chicago Bears feel about their quarterback. We already knew that it might be a slippery slope in terms of bringing this dude back. But man, when you sit down with Luke Getze, when you sit down with Matt Eberflus, if you're a Mike Tirico, if you're a Chris Collinsworth, you get the general tenor in an hour and a half, two-hour meeting on whatever, a Wednesday or Thursday when you fly in with the coaches. If that is the tenor, if that is the picture that you decided to paint after those meetings, it is clear as day what the hell is going on here. This ain't Ryan Poles' quarterback. This ain't Ryan Poles' head coach. This ain't Luke Getze's quarterback. This ain't Luke Getze's head coach, maybe. Matt Eberflus is just out here being a defensive head coach whose defense can't stop getting its ass run up and down the field on. They can't get any pressure on anybody. When you have to blitz, you leave holes open for a secondary that's already banged up. You come into a game without both your safeties. You're looking at the defensive line saying, hey, got to make some plays, fellas. And what do they do? <laughs> they look back at you and said, no, no, thank you. We will wear our Velcro jerseys out there for three hours for the world to see. So, yeah, another primetime event, another primetime debacle. And meanwhile, y'all are turning people against Tyson Bajan because you're talking up a young man who, let's face it, y'all. Let's face it. Let, 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 let's stop doing this. Let's stop doing this with every backup quarterback that comes into this city. Huh? There's a reason why the young man is undrafted. There's a reason why the young man had to go to Shepherd University. And I, I am applauding everything that this young man has come to be and accomplished so far. It's a long shot. And he made it to his NFL dream. But to act as if something that you are seeing is competent NFL quarterbacking, he has a pop gun arm and he's consistently throwing in the team meetings. What about that says competent backup quarterback to you? When a competent backup quarterback comes in, hey, man, don't turn the ball over and maybe get us through a couple of weeks while a starter is hurt. That didn't happen. We got more for you. If you want to tune in to the Full Go podcast, God bless you, because the flamethrower is coming out tonight. We are here every Sunday, every Wednesday. And every third, I'm sorry, every Sunday, every Tuesday, and every Thursday. I just gave myself an extra pod. That's how upset I am. Every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. And maybe if there's an emergency pod, like a random Wednesday, we're right here for you as well. All right, gang, coming up next on the local angle, John Yastrzemski, JJ in the flesh, the host of the New York, New York podcast on a rough, rough Jets-Giants game that keeps the Jets alive in the AFC playoff picture. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I am JJ John Shostremsky, the host of New York, New York, where I don't know what else to say, but it was so bad. 
it ended up being good. That, to me, in a nutshell, is how from an unbiased viewing perspective, as someone that does not root for the Jets, as someone that does not root for the New York Giants, as many of you know, that is exactly how I felt as someone who was just taking a seat, diving in, watching all the football, but of course had an up-close look at what you saw out at MetLife Stadium. I think it's fair to say the football display on the field between the Jets and the Giants was as ugly. I can't even say as expected because, yeah, I thought it was going to be a low-scoring game. Yeah, I thought it was going to be ugly. You never in a million years thought it was going to be that ugly. From Tyrod Taylor getting knocked out of the the game with broken ribs or whatever the case may be, having to see the jersey product, Tommy DeVito come in, giving you shades of 2021 with giant quarterbacks just simply incapable of completing a forward pass in the NFL. We all know that the New York Jet defense is really, really good. And we know that the Jet defense brings a lot of positive attributes to the table. To not be able to complete a pass, come on, man. It's 2023 in the NFL. What are we doing here? I get it's a third-string quarterback, but it was anything but easy on the eyes. I preface all of this by suggesting, yes, the Giants were down to a third-string quarterback. In reality, you look at it and you say, well, how are the Giants even in the game? How are the Giants even given an opportunity to go and win this one? Well, because the Jets did everything in their power for almost four quarters to allow the Giants to go and win this game. When I'm talking about self-inflicted wounds up the wazoo, and this is where Robert Sala and his coaching staff have got to take a major hit. The team off of the bye week, off of the big win against Philadelphia, did nothing offensively, committed multiple and I mean multiple back-breaking, inexcusable type of penalties on punts, on third downs that are normally a death sentence in trying to win a football game. One of them you could argue is for Gazy to Johnson hit, be that as it may. That was adding up for the Jets. And you combine that with Zach Wilson's inefficiency and Zach Wilson's inability to get an offense moving, to make the right football play, to get the offense in rhythm. You're thinking a Tommy DeVito quarterback sneak, Saquon Barkley running for 100 plus yards, and the Giant defense for the third straight week is going to be the difference. Giants are going to go win the game. Kayvon Thibodeau gets the sack late, and the storyline around town is, hey, Kayvon Thibodeau shows up, the Giants somehow, some way, get to three and five. The Jets flush a game they had no business losing right down the toilet. And then Brian Dable happened. And we all know it was a wet, blustery day at MetLife Stadium. If you walked around the tri-state area, and listen, 24 hours ago, it was 80 degrees. It was sunny. I'm walking my dog Bruce all over the place, and life is good. Today was one of those miserable, oh boy, winter is coming type of days at MetLife Stadium. The Giants had already missed a kick early in the game. You have fourth down, you need one yard. I repeat, fourth down, 
one yard from a victory. The Giants up three late in the game say, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to try a 30-something yard field goal with the logic of, hey, if we make the kick and we go up six, then Zach Wilson's got to go all the way down the field with no timeouts and score a touchdown. Here's the problem. It's windy. Number two, I already saw you kick early in the game, miss a field goal. Number three, you need a yard. Coach, what happened to Brian Dable? This is the same Brian Dable a year ago who's going for two with the game on the line against the Tennessee Titans, winning me over, winning the Giant fan base over, getting everybody all fired up that the Giants have their football coach. Today, he's coaching like the Cowardly Lion. Coach at two and five, get a yard. Holy smokes. And not only did the Giants miss the field goal, and this is to me what their brilliant coaching staff failed to realize and failed to acknowledge. By missing the field goal, you cost yourself about 10 yards of field position. Are you going to sit there and tell me those extra 10 yards didn't matter as Zach Wilson barely was able to spike the football to get Greg Zerlin on to go and tie the football game up? Of course it mattered. Of course that field position, those extra 10 yards, ended up being a difference. And, oh, by the way, maybe the Giants get a yard and they win a game. Right then and there. Cowardly, cowardly, cowardly coaching by Brian Dable. This is not on the Giant defense. I am not going to roast the offense. They're down to a third-string quarterback. Get a yard. Get a measly freaking yard. You paid Saquon Barkley with the franchise tag. How much money? He ran for well north of 100 yards. Did he not? He can't have the football in his hands with the game on the line. You deserve that. You deserve that. And you knew in overtime, the minute they went three and out, and by the way, I would have deferred in overtime. With the way that game was going, I would have deferred. Now, I don't think the Giants were going to score anyway. They needed to win right then and there in regulation. But the Jets get it. Good field position. Wilson gets the pass interference. And you end up winning the game on a Greg Zerline field goal. So, bigger picture here for these two football teams. After what was just a slop fest, grotesque, vile football game. So while we're in the spirit of hearing the New York voice, we have this new wrinkle on the local angle here on FanDuel TV, like we do in our podcast, where we hear from you. So you can call in like you do to my podcast, and maybe you find your way on the FanDuel TV, like this particular person. Hey, JJ, it's Jake from Shark River Hills, New Jersey. First of all, congratulations to the Giants for winning a horrible game with Vito, whatever the name is, but you know what? I'm a Jets fan, and I'm just here to say I don't want to see another pass from Zach Wilson. I don't care who you have to trade for this week. Get me, get me Tannehill. I don't give a. I can't watch this guy anymore. It's embarrassing. We lose to Tommy DeVito. All you have to do is block the running back and the quarterback, and you don't got to worry about anything. Embarrassing. Get rid of Salah. I'm just absolutely disgusted. Absolutely disgusted. Congrats, Giants fans. You won a, a, a fucking horrible game. A few moments later. JJ's Jake from Shark River Hills. 
I got to admit, I called earlier, congratulated the Giants for winning an absolute disaster of a game. I didn't think the Jets were going to tie it up and then take it in overtime, but I got to say, Jets got to get rid of Zach Wilson. I can't see it anymore. He's horrendous. Bring in Tannehill. I don't, I don't care, know who's out there, but embarrassing that it was that close versus Tommy DeVito out there for the Giants. And <laughs> I was ready to get rid of Solid before this, but anyway, bye. Quite the turn of events. Quite the swing of emotion from going from being down and out, loss, you want new quarterback. You still want a new quarterback after the game, and I can understand why. You want a new coach. You wanted this. You wanted that. But it is a lesson, I think, for all of us here in the New York, New York family. And I think many of us make this mistake when you watch games, you tweet about them, you react to them. In many ways, you got to wait till you see zeros on the clock. You really do. Because if you don't, that pending tweet or that phone call can sound as bad as yours just did. Overreactionary. And listen, I get the disdain for Zach Wilson. I am not making this out to be some Zach Wilson heroic effort after what he was able to do in the final seconds of this game. But next time, wait for the game to go final. And then I promise you can all want anybody you want. You have the floor, you have the platform, be my guest. But wait till the game goes final. This New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm John Zestremski. We'll be back same time next week. We'll have a giant game in Las Vegas. We'll see who's playing quarterback. Giants right now, uphill climb at two and six. And we'll be getting ready for a monster four-game swing for the Jets. Monday night against the Chargers, at Vegas, Sunday night football, then at Buffalo, and then hosting my Dolphins the day after Thanksgiving. Can the Jets go 2-2 two and two in those four games? And I think if the answer to that question is yes, despite their quarterback problem, they are trending in the right direction on being one of those seven teams to go and find themselves in the AFC playoff picture, which is something, by the way, the Jets have not done in over a decade. It's long overdue. We'll be back next week. Be good, everybody. We're coming right back. Coming up next on the local angle, the Philly special guys, Shield Kapadia and Ben Solak on the Eagles' shaky win, but win nonetheless over the commanders that keeps them atop the NFC. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special and to those of you watching the local angle on FanDuel TV. Shield Kapadia here with Ben Solak and ace producer Cliff Augustine. The Eagles storm back from an 11 point deficit, first half deficit, to beat the Commanders 38 31. Still only have one loss on the season. Benny Souls, how are we feeling after that game? Best record in football. Do I, do I care that the Eagles have needed eight quarters to beat the Commanders twice? No, nah, don't worry about it. It's fine. One loss team. They're not making the playoffs. We beat everybody else. We're chilling. Uh, it is why yeah, Sam, Sam Howell played the Eagles every week. My goodness. The guy would be all pro. I mean, unbelievable. He's just slinging it out there. Uh, so, yeah, Eagles are in a great spot here. Only one loss team in the NFL 
after the Chiefs lost, right? Is that right? That's right. Yes. Only one lost team in the NFL. Big showdown next week against the Dallas Cowboys at home, which is the key, right, Ben? Because, I mean, it doesn't really matter, like, what their deficit is with other people. They've got to have a gap on the Cowboys. Cowboys are a two-loss team. They come to the link next week. Uh, that's going to be a huge game. I mean, the juices are already flowing for that game. Yeah, there are there are three two-loss teams right now in the NFC. One of them is the Cowboys, who the Eagles play this week. Another is the Seahawks, who the Eagles play much later in the season. And then a third is the Lions, right? Like, uh, uh, the Eagles are the clear class of the NFC. The Niners are absolutely, like, like... Uh, you know, they're dealing with injury, and that's part of the reason why they're losing. But the Niners are definitely, like, reeling a little bit defensively. They're not playing the way they used to. Like, there's no question that right now the top of the NFC is the Eagles, period. And then you start talking about the second tier. Lose to the Cowboys, we, we have a conversation. Beat the Cowboys, and you remind everybody who daddy is, right? And so it's, it's a it's, – the Eagles are in total control of the conference. And with the way that they continue to win games where, like – They'll start slow and then have the win like they did against the commanders or they'll not look great, but they'll get a lead and then they'll just sit on it. Like they just they know a thousand different ways to win a football game. And this was this week was a great example of that. I, I think that's right. I think that has to be one of the big takeaways coming off last week's Sunday night win over the Miami Dolphins, where the big takeaway was, man, this defense really can cook up some good stuff against the elite offenses in the NFL. That's what we saw against Miami. They hold them to 12 first downs. Well, it's the NFL. So it's weird. Things can happen. You can Your defense can look great against the Dolphins, and then your defense can look like Trash against the Washington Commanders. That happens. Now, can you withstand that when you have those games? I really think that's what separates maybe a tier one team from a tier two team. And the Eagles showed they could do that. So uh, that's a big takeaway. The other big takeaway here, Ben, which we got to, we have to get to right off the bat. I was almost thinking today watching the game, like we get, we've given this guy a lot of credit, but we haven't given him enough credit. And that's AJ Brown, who right now is having the best season receiving season in Eagles franchise history. And I mean, potentially on pace to be an all-time great season. The guy today, eight catches for 138 yards on eight targets. He's just putting the offense on his back at times. We've talked about it before. He's such a problem solver. Oh, you need something on third down? Here you go. Oh, scramble drill? He's got you. Oh, you need an explosive play downfield? Yep, he's got that. Red zone? Oh yeah, sure. He can, he can do that too. So five straight games with 125 plus five. receiving yards. Six? Is it six? Six? Five six. was the record he go. tied last week, okay. brother. We're at six. I can't keep up with the A.J. Brown record. Six straight with 125. A.J. Brown, Brown in week one, <laughs> right? He had 79 yards. I was like, okay, like solid A.J. Brown day. We've got to get Goddard going. And then week two, he went six targets, four catches, 29 yards against the Vikings. He had that one like fourth quarter drive where he was really frustrated on the sideline. Since then, he has not had fewer than 127 <laughs> receiving yards in a game. Fellas, team, everybody listening, jot this down. Complain about the bad things in your life. <laughs> Tell others to fix them, and they will be fixed for you in unbelievable ways. Tell, I'm trying to think, yeah, what's the real? Tell others to give you opportunity. I don't know, because he still has to do his part, but you're right. The squeaky wheel, definitely for wide receivers and NFL wide receivers, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. He's got 939 receiving yards already. Yes. We are, we just finished week eight, Ben Solak. He has 939 receiving yards. He set the Eagles franchise record last year with 1,496 receiving yards. He is on pace for 1,000. 
995 receiving yards. A 2K season for A.J. Brown is actually absolutely in play. And in this game, I thought all of his best traits were on full display. I mean, he has the absurd touchdown catch, the one-hander. When the Eagles are down 14-3, you're thinking, man, maybe they're in a little bit of trouble in this game. He gets you right back in it there. Then another sick contested catch to tie the game uh, at 17 Seven receiving first downs today on the eight targets. Uh, the guy's just an absolute beast. I mean, I feel like we don't dis- over-discuss him because it's like, how many times can you say the guy's an absolute beast? But we might as well say it after a game like this. He is. Yeah, so Tyreek Hill right now for the Dolphins has 1,014 receiving yards through eight <laughs> games. He is on record-setting pace. That's that's the fourth most of any receiver in the entire history of football. In the Super Bowl era, it is the most. And so AJ Brown is behind him at 939, but on the all-time list, AJ Brown's 13th. He's between two Isaac Bruce seasons. Like this is like Isaac Bruce. Like there's Tyreek Hills on here, Marvin Harrison's on here, Tory Holt's on here. You're saying all through, of fame receivers through that, eight weeks of the season. You're saying yeah, through eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Okay, yeah. So like we're not we're not like worrying about 16 game, 17 game season on pace, anything like that. No, this is just hey, if he keeps this up, he's having a season that the Hall of Famers have. And yeah. He's in his mid twenties, Shiel. Sure, he's in his mid twenties. Sure, he's gonna keep doing this. This is not. Yeah. Oh, and like AJ Brown's peaking. Yeah, he'll be here for the next three seasons. And you said if Sam Howell plays the Eagles every week, if AJ Brown plays the Commanders every week, no one's gonna play corner again. He hates these guys. Man. He <laughs> hates these dudes. Like they put Emmanuel Forbes back out on the field at one Ooh, point. He that wasn't him. nice. That was yes. just mean. How are you very do thoughtless that to him? from Ron Rivera, yeah. the young rookie, gonna scar <laughs> this guy for life. Uh, 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 Benjamin St. Juiced, who's like a fine player, and then it's Kendall Fuller, right? Not Kyle Fuller. I always switch the Fullers. They're they're my kryptonite. Pretty sure it's Kendall. Uh, then Kendall Fuller is just simply not big enough for this. Uh, it is ridiculous how offended A.J. Brown is when people try to cover him. You would have thought he would have gotten used to it by now. You play receiver, people are going to do this a lot. Every time he's furious that the corner is there, every time he has something to say, he should be flagged for taunting 12 times a game. I love him so much. Yeah, nice job by him, actually, holding in the, the... He did not get flagged for taunting in this game, where he would have been well within his rights to get flagged for taunting yeah. uh, in this game with what he was doing to them. Did you see how many targets he had today, Shiel? Eight. You see how many receptions he had today? Eight. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> Eight. And seven of them go for a first down. Two for them go. Two of them go for touchdown. So, uh, yeah, I just felt like watching this game, there are a lot of directions we could go with our big picture thoughts. But uh, I wanted to start with A.J. Brown. What else? What else is on your mind? There obviously was some bad, was uh, some other good. What else was your big takeaway uh, when you sit back and think about the Eagles 38-31 win? I think about I think about two turnovers inside of the Washington Five. Like I like they could have scored game, fifty. They really could have yeah. scored fifty pretty easily. And th- this game was sweaty for a while because it was it was pretty much one score the whole way. Like once the Eagles bridged the gap, it was one score the whole way until they built the two score lead. And obviously the Commanders score garbage time touchdown late. So the whole time you're feeling sweaty. The whole time you're like one random play, one bad bounce, one penalty, something might happen here. But really, when you look at it, like the Eagles were cruising on offense no matter what they wanted to do. Right? Like I was I I was I was putting notes on my like on my Jalen Hurts pad and I just kind of like a t-chart like oh plus you know this throw minus that throw like you know plus this decision minus that decision and I looked down it was like 50 50 like 
good plays from Jalen Hurts, bad from Jalen Hurts. It's like a solid, fine Jalen Hurts day. And I look up and the broadcast is like, Jalen Hurts has 400 or 300 passing yards and four touchdowns. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's not what this says. It was, they, they were firing on all cylinders. They were successful pretty much everywhere. Even in the first half in which like point-wise they're down 10 to 17 and they go into the halftime, oh, they only have six rushing yards. Yeah, but a lot of what they were doing was working. They were just missing on a couple of things situationally. They had the turnovers. You were pretty confident they were going to just fumble the ball consistently in the second half, and then they didn't. That's where they really started to pour the points on. Uh, obviously, they fumbled to start the, the second half, but then it's touchdown, touchdown, touchdown uh, for the next three drives, and that's where you get the 31-24 to 24 lead. Defense really steps up, but they were they were always comfortable on offense. This There have been games this year that have been close and have been annoying, and it's like, all right, the offense is disjointed and frustrating. I know people are mad about like Kenny Gainwell usage, but other than that, like this was a great offensive day. Obviously, the end with 38 points could have and should have even been better if they didn't have those those noisy turnovers there in the low red area. Great offensive day, and they had to. It was all the passing game. I mean, the, you know, yeah. the, like, like like you said, not only were they not rushing the ball when they tried to rush the ball, uh, they weren't really successful doing that. 22 carries for 59 yards. They had 10. Real possessions when you take out, you know, Neil Downs in halftime. They scored touchdowns on five of them, and you just said it. They had two fumbles inside the three-yard line. They could have had seven touchdowns on 10 possessions, which is like you're talking about, like, you know, one of the great offensive performances in franchise history when you get there. Jalen Hurts goes 29 for 38, 319 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Ben, based on EPA per pass play, this was the best passing game of Jalen Hurts' career. Yeah. When you just look at EPA, I mean, because when you're hitting on explosive plays and you're not turning the ball over, remember the fumble uh, was on a run play. Um, that's what it's going to look like. You know, he was sacked twice on 41 dropbacks. Uh, he was hit four times. He was comfortable back there. The offensive line did his job once again. It wasn't just A.J. Brown. It was a lot of A.J. Brown, but Devontae Smith, Julio Jones, uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, everybody getting involved. So, uh, yeah, just a, a very impressive offensive showing for the Eagles. What's your uh, what's your gut telling you about this Cowboys matchup uh real quick before we uh before we take a break? Yeah, so best uh best game by EPA per dropback uh, of Hertz's career. I don't have Dak Prescott numbers in front of me. The last 6 7 quarters of Dak Prescott football, that Chargers game into this Rams game, it's about as good as Dak Prescott's looked, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh these are two of the hottest quarterbacks playing football right now, coming into this matchup uh, against two defenses, which like the Eagles are a little bit more mercurial and then the Cowboys I think are a little bit more standard. But in general, two defenses who can generate turnovers on you, who can generate pressure on you. This is this is big boy football. All right? It's oh, just like uh, it. It's um, we're looking forward to this one. This is going to be a really, really, really good game. I do not know where I lean right now. I think the Eagles are going to be favored, deserve to be favored at this point. They're, they're so successful winning. Uh, it's going to be a game to kind of rediscover the running game a little bit, which we'll talk about later. Um, but in general, it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a fourth quarter game. I'm pumped. I'm so pumped. Hurts, Prescott, AJ Brown, CD Lamb, Devontae Smith, Micah Parsons, Jalen. I mean, I could, I could go on for 10 more minutes. Uh, that game is going to have a lot of juice. There is no doubt about it. All right. Thank you to everyone watching on FanDuel TV. Remember, you can listen to the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next on The Local Angle, Brian Barrett and James White on another Patriots loss to the Dolphins and where this team goes from here at 2-6 and six at the bottom of the AFC East.
I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now as he does each and every week, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, I've been battling, I've been screaming at the Patriots during this game, so the voice is not ideal, and the result was not ideal. As the Patriots lose again, they fall to two and six, and from my perspective, the most aggravating thing about this game is it felt like the Patriots really had a chance to win. Like, they had opportunities in this game. The Dolphins were the better team. But when they had those opportunities, they couldn't take advantage of them. And this has sort of been a theme of the season, the Buffalo game notwithstanding. Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. Another tough loss for sure. You know, for me, I thought they at least had to get one of them You know, versus Buffalo or Miami. They got the one last week. They definitely had their opportunities, especially early on in this football game. They just, just couldn't capitalize on it. When you play good football teams like the Dolphins are, and that team's going to continue to get better. They're getting banged up a little bit on their offensive line, but their scheme allows for them to – you know, kind of withstand yeah. a lot of that stuff. It's it's crazy. It's it's a hard offense to stop. And our defense, they they controlled them for the most part. I mean, Tyreek, we usually contain Tyreek Hill a little bit better. He, he had a good day today. You know, Waddle had a day. So whenever those two guys are you know, going for a hundred hundred yards, each getting a touchdown, it's it's tough. And when you you're not able to really throw the football or run the football that well, yeah, it's it's a hard day. Just it's just more of the same. The offense last week they had a good week. This week it was just a little bit. No inconsistent, really couldn't get drives going. And obviously the big turning point was the drive before the half after that. Then it was kind of like couldn't really get anything going after that. Yeah, I really felt like the defense put the offense in a position where they should have won the game, or at least they had a chance to win the game. I thought yeah. the defense, considering who you were playing, played more than well enough. And we can get into that in greater detail. But the thing that sticks out to me, you mentioned it, is essentially at the end of the, the first half, you have basically it's a fake screen to Douglas, who at one point during this game, give Pop Douglas a lot of credit. He was double teamed at one point, a six round rookie. <laughs> but nonetheless, they have this play they set up where it's a fake screen and Ramsey reads it right. So yeah. he comes off of Parker and or excuse me, he comes off. Yeah, he comes off to Parker. Yeah. Parker. He thinks Kendrick Bourne is wide open Does Mac. He doesn't see that Jalen Ramsey kind of comes off that. So that's an interception. They go the other way. They end up kicking a field goal at the end of the half. But instead of it being maybe 14 to 14, at the very least, it's 14 to 10 at that particular point because you're in field goal range. Miami goes down. They take a 17 to 7 lead. So it's now a two possession game rather than either being a tied game or you're down by just four points. You keep it at one possession. And then the other thing that stuck out to me is after the Mostert fumble, you take over at the 19. It's a third and five. Mac takes a sack and you just get to get rid of that football because Devontae Parker is wide open and it felt like Mac really that really wasn't part of his progression for some reason and he ran wide open so then you're looking at you have to settle for the field goal you get catch a break right at the start of the third quarter it should be a 17 to 14 game instead it's going to be a 17 to 10 game because now look you still got to punch it in eventually but you took that opportunity away I do wonder if that was sort of a carryover from the end of the first half where maybe Mac was gun shy or he just didn't see Devontae Parker. But those two plays are plays that your quarterback, if he's trying to build up progress and make a stand that he's the quarterback of this organization going forward, you got to make those plays. He definitely got to make those plays. The play before the half, I thought that was just a heck of a play by, you know, Jalen Ramsey. Good, good eye recognition. Look, those guys get paid to a guy like him, one of the better corners and, you know, the NFL passes off the post, you know, knowing there's a, that's a very ideal concept from a lot of teams. Post wheel, good recognition. Like maybe if, if Mac throws it like a tad bit earlier, throws it on a little bit more of a rope, he can get it in there. He was just kind of assuming, you know, that area was vacated in the zone. But that's a heck of a play by him. But yeah, that was 
that was deflating, but then you, you know, obviously get a fumble first play after the half, get a fumble. You, know, you got to cash in on those opportunities against you know offense that can score a lot of points and is extremely explosive. They give you an opportunity to you know, turn the football over right there, right there, you know, pretty much in the red zone. You got to find a way to punch that in. So, yeah, Max got to you know, find a way to get the ball to you know, Devontae in that situation and try and get you know, seven points out of that because you, you really have to capitalize on those. I mean, they did it earlier in the game. You know, Duggar had the interception. They scored off of that. But the more they can do that, defenses, you know, last year they created a ton of turnovers. This year they've you yeah. know, kind of struggled. They picked it up you know, the last couple of weeks. When your defense is able to create those things, you got to capitalize, score points on it, especially as an offense who hasn't been very good, been able to drive, you know, eight, ten plays and go score. You get a short field, be confident, go score, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, they got to be better. Yeah, and I did feel like, too, just from Mac overall in this game, you look at the numbers. Last week he throws for 272. He has a 126.7 passer rating. And I said on here, I thought last week a lot of that was Bill O'Brien. Like he did a really good job sort of dialing things up for Mac. And if you look at it in this game, he throws for 161 yards on 29 attempts. That's 5.6 yards per attempt, which would have ranked basically that's one of the you'd be one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL with that number. And Mac has not been good on the season either. But last week he's at 9.1. So I was wondering, hey, can he carry this over? I did think they started the game well with the idea of, hey, let's play our two best players again. You saw Douglas feature it. As I mentioned, he was double teamed. You saw Kendrick Bourne with the touchdown pass. Unfortunately, he goes down with the injury. Now, hopefully he's not lost for the season because that is certainly a guy that Mac cannot lose. He's been the best receiver on this team. But it just it felt like plays were there for Mac. And I was hopeful that maybe, hey, he could build off what he did last week. But it just felt like and it's not all on Mac. It's never all on one player. But if you want to sort of make your stamp that you're the franchise quarterback of the Patriots, this is a division game. You have to at least be on the same level as the other quarterback. Last week, he outplayed Josh Allen. This week against Tua, Tua was the superior player. Despite some mistakes that Tua made in this game, he at least made some big plays. Mack didn't make any big plays in this game. The play-action pass to Farrell Brown, that was a nice pass. Although for a second there, I was thinking, please get there, please get there, please get there. <laughs> but overall, I thought it was a step backwards for Mack after maybe he figured some things out last week. Yeah, I mean... Dolphins defense is pretty solid. You know, obviously they get one of their guys, Jalen Ramsey, back. They definitely missed some opportunities. They didn't, they weren't able to push the ball down the field, you know, create too many explosive plays in the passing game. There's a lot of, you know, kind of like last week, they really relied upon the, you know, short passing game, you know, guys catching run plays. The Dolphins did a heck of a job, you know, kind of limiting big plays out of those situations. So you got to get them a lot of credit. Yes, I think Mac needs to play better. Definitely wasn't all on him. You know, at times there wasn't much separation from the receivers or, you know, if there was a guy open, he may miss him. So that's kind of more of the same just from what I've been seeing. It's just, I guess, sometimes guys are open, maybe a miss. He doesn't see him. The next next third down, you know, nobody's open. He's he's holding on, looking for somebody to you know, get rid yeah. of the ball. So everybody, like, takes their turn, and it's just really hard to get any consistency as an offense as everybody's taking their turn, not getting the job done. So I thought, you know, Bill O'Brien was dialing up some pretty good plays. The fourth down play to Juju, that was creative. No, they're in man yeah. coverage. You know, send send back and forth in the motion, which is almost impossible to stop unless you have great communication. See every team struggle with that in man coverage. It's kind of like what the what the Dolphins do. That's why you know Jack and Jay Jones had the blown coverage on the on the Waddle pass. It's it's extremely hard to communicate on the run. You're in man coverage. Are we switching it? Are we not? And boom, he's he's wide open. He's got to have a split second decision. So maybe they'll you know implement a little bit more of that for 
you know, the man coverage that they're probably going to see throughout the year because they're seeing if teams are going to challenge them to see if the receivers can consistently create separation. So maybe you know, doing more of those fast motions like the Dolphins do. They, they've been doing it all year long, and it's been working. I mean, teams know it's coming, but you know, it's nothing like the real thing where you get in the moment. It's like, all right, like, what are we actually doing? Snap. Guy running a 4-2, he's past you, wide open. You got a quarterback, <laughs> got a quarterback who's, you know, he's he's ready to get the ball out of his hands. And that's what you got to give, you know, to a lot of credit. I mean, their offensive line, you know, isn't necessarily the greatest, but their scheme and his kind of understanding of what they're trying to get done, he's he's not trying to hold on to that ball. I mean, sometimes it costs them like it did early in the game because he kind of throws the spots with a lot of anticipation, but for the most part, it works for him. So you got to give him credit. Yeah, two is like Tony Allen when he played for the Memphis Grizzlies. How do I get rid of this? I, I don't <laughs> yeah, want the ball. I can't shoot. I don't want the ball. And look, two is really good at distributing yeah. the ball quickly, but you get my point. It's like a hot potato. He gets the ball, boom, it's coming yeah. right out. Which I mean, that's two. Give them credit. They scheme it up because that offensive line, we've seen all season, even today, they're dealing with injuries, and quite frankly, the personnel is not great. But I did want to get your take on the defense because it was really good overall. But you mentioned, of course, the breakdown where both guys go with Waddle. That's clearly... They're looking at Tyree Kill. But the other play where Tyree Kill scores the touchdown pass that was a really a backbreaker in this game. So JC Jackson's on the outside. Mapu, who's like a hybrid safety yeah. linebacker at 230 pounds, is the other guy on the inside. So what is sort of the plan there? Because I thought like the whole idea, <laughs> when they've had success against Tyree Kill, it's when they get their hands on him, right? Like you got to at least disrupt him a little bit. So is that a scheme thing? Is that a player made a mistake in coverage? Like, how does that happen? Because it seems like the philosophy behind that, from my perspective, and you would know a lot better than me, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. Like, that's how you're defending Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, I think they were supposed to bracket him in that situation. And I think sometimes when you have the bracket, the guy's kind of relaxed. It's like, oh, is it, we, we both got him. Like, okay, he's just gonna, okay, he sees the double team. He probably won't do much, but the the best way to beat a, a double team is to to run right through it because guys are expecting you to break one, break left, break right. You know, I got help inside, I got the outside, and next thing you know, you know, we know how fast he is. He's he's through the middle. And that I think that's the first time you know all season I've seen Mapu in that in that situation deep in the yeah. you know middle of the field. So that was kind of I'm like who is that right there in that situation? Usually it's like a like a Duggar or Jabril Peppers in that situation. You probably. You know, much rather have one of those guys in the double in that situation. On No doubt. Well, look forward to Christian Gonzalez in the future, everybody. That'll do it for the Week 8 edition of The Local Angle here on FanDuel TV. Catch us every Monday, same time, same place. But until then, be well, everybody.